One huge frustration for development teams is the processes they're made to follow, often unnecessarily. Wars can ensue when teams are forced to adopt an approach they don't believe in. Bpagels Miner will show you why different agile approaches can be useful. Welcome to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hello, I'm Kirk Bailey and this week on The Boss Podcast, episode 44, we have the many flavours of Agile with B. Pagels Miner. B loves product development and improving the processes of developing successful products, having worked with small and large tech companies to drive product adoption, improve the product experience and evolve product vision. From Mississippi to Chicago to Silicon Valley, B has built their career around building great products for amazing brands while also working to enrich their community around them. Agile methodology can be confusing and difficult, but B breaks it down to bite-sized slices of delicious cakes that will help every team work better, communicate better and provide better returns. In this talk you will learn how to understand which version of the many flavours of Agile is right for your company based on your company, with many cake references. Not one to watch on an empty stomach. Happy listening. So this presentation, it's called the mini flavors of Agile, what's the right one for your team? And so I wanna give you a little bit of background as to how this came about. So, you know, Mikey was talking about badass people, and I feel like I'm one of those employees for a lot of my companies. And so when I get frustrated, I end up like just like railing and yelling at my managers being like, I hate this, like why is this thing happening, like whatever. And so one of my managers was just like, well, what's your, what's your complaint right now? I was like, why does everyone come to me about agile methodology? Like everyone, everyone comes to me and, and goes, you know, Bethany, you're the one, you're the expert. Like you're the only one who can help us figure this out. And I was like, no, this is really simple. It's as simple as cakes, right? So I'm gonna create a whole presentation about cakes and agile and explain to people how you can figure out what types of systems might work for your company. So let's get right into it. So on the agenda today, we're gonna to talk a little bit about the history of Agile. We're gonna come up with some common examples of Agile. We're gonna do some Agile evaluation criteria. We're gonna break it down a little bit. You guys are gonna be awesome. And then we're gonna apply what we've learned and then we're gonna do a review. Which by the way, you can tell I'm a product slash program manager because there's an agenda for every meeting. Like I don't go into anything without telling people where we're gonna go. So Agile, the beginning. I always feel like there should be like that do 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 like music when you do this. But, so what happened? So in 2001, uh, 17 guys, which they were all guys, obviously the next one's gonna be some, some women as well. Um, but 17 guys went to this amazing chalet. They, they really do call it a chalet. I like double checked it because I wanted to say that out loud. Um, in Utah, and they were all considered experts on how to build great software. And so what they came up with is, it really comes down to 12 principles. Um, and this, these 12 principles are called the Agile Manif Manifesto. And it's something I definitely recommend all of you read. And in fact, a lot of the, the things that have already been talked about this morning, they're kind of captured there. Like the, the principles of how you manage teams, the principles of how you build software, they all exist in the Agile Manifesto. And it's not that, that scary, like crazy thing that a lot of people think of when they think of Agile methodology, which is that it's so difficult. It really isn't. And so I like to focus a little bit on some of the core values. And these are the four core values that are most important to me. And even beyond them being the four core values that are most important to me, I really only look at the bold part. Like I look at individuals and interactions. I look at working software. I look at customer collaboration. 
I look to responding to change. When I think about how I make sure that we build successful products at every company I work at, if I follow those four core tenets, if I focus on those four core things, I'm always successful, right? And it also goes this idea that like processes, you know, even when you think about like different frameworks of Agile, no process should ever inhibit the ability for a team or a company to be successful. You know, you should always just be kind of kicking the, kicking the door, you know, asking yourself, you know, hey, like, we've been doing this for a while now. It seems like some people aren't really, you know, understanding this. Like, maybe we should do something different. So then, you know, I was like, wait, what are some of the common flavors of Agile? So, a couple things here. I know there's going to be someone who goes, well, you have waterfall on this list. You have extreme programming on this list. Why do you have that? Because there is still the very simple principle that most people actually don't run one flavor of any type of software development process. A lot of times you have like what I call water gel, right? You know, some people call it agile fall, right? <laughs> because you're running some kind of like, some combination of different principles. And so taking in and, and taking ownership of the fact that those things could be agile-like in some principles, I think really helps. But for the purpose of our presentation today, we're not gonna focus on the right side, right? Actually, there's the right side for there. Um, we're gonna focus on the Spotify squad model, we're gonna focus on Lean, Scrum, Kanban, Waterfall. These are the most common flavors of Agile that you're gonna actually interact with on a regular basis now. So then, I was like, okay, cool. So I'm telling these folks that this is all really simple, it's all really easy, it's gonna be like cake, but how do you actually evaluate this, right? How do you make sure the ingredients are right? So first you have to look at your team skill level. And skill level can mean different things, right? Because depending on your product, depending on the type of company that you're running, skilled, like someone who would be low skilled in one company might be super high skilled in another company. So it really is very important to look at your ingredients on your team to figure out exactly what types of skills that you're dealing with. Then you have to think about maturity level. So this is something that gets controversial. Because people are like, what's maturity? I'm like, well, you know, as, as my mama would say, are these some grown-ass folks who know how to do what they're doing, right? Like, are they grown? Can they, act on them, can they act by themselves? Can they be autonomous? You know, if you can't answer yes to a lot of those questions, then you have a very low maturity level at your company. And again, that's perfectly fine. You have to find something that works for those people. Then you have the company risk tolerance. So, um, you know, as Mark mentioned, I work at Apple now, so now, like, my risk tolerance is super high. Like, when you have a lot of money behind you, you can try lots of different things. But I also acknowledge that depending on your company, you may not be able to take that risk. You know, you may not be able to survive deleting 12,000 files, right? So, like, it's very, very important to kind of take that into account and start thinking strategically about what it means to take risks with how your teams work. Right? Because if you, change, if you make changes and it doesn't work and your company can't accept the risks, chances are you really will not have a company afterwards, right? Like you might actually really put yourself in danger. And this team size. Now one of the things here is, and this is something that I will talk to, I'm blue in the face. I fundamentally believe teams shouldn't be more than seven people. If there are more than seven people, you're gonna get into very complicated situations. In fact, one of the management principles that I really follow is for every single manager, there should not be more than seven people that they manage, right? It's a really great ratio. It allows people to be heard, be understood, be successful, right? And so one of the ways I think about it is you have a small team, which is less than five people, medium team, five to seven people, large team is more than seven people. And when I talk about team here, there's a couple different ways. So there's teams who are technical teams, so those people might be 
you know, the product manager, the program manager, the developers that are working on it, the designers, the QA. If you're an HR team, it might be the chief, you know, people officer, um, their HR managers and the, you know, talent recruiters. And because, again, all these things kind of like apply to different types of organizations, different types of teams, all that good type of stuff. So then it's like, okay, we got all this information, how are we gonna break it down? First of all, we have cake. Which by the way, this is a strawberry shortcake, it's my favorite cake, so if you ever wanna buy me cake, feel free. <clears throat> so, first principle, we have waterfall, and it's fruit cake. Because it's the thing that people don't seem to like, they're always just like, oh my God, Bethany, the fruitcake was so horrible, it was dry, and I'm just like, well, you know, that's because they, they do it so far in advance, right? So fruitcake with waterfall, you have to do everything at the very beginning, right? So you have to have all your designs in the, in the beginning, you have to have your entire like, development strategy in the beginning, and then you know, it kind of gets dried up, actually, because by the time you start working on it, you're just like, wait, like, my customer actually didn't want that thing, and now I've already built it, now I gotta find some other customer who will buy this thing. But I actually think it could be good for certain things. So I really, really think for very, very large organizations or heavily regulated industries, it totally makes sense to want fruitcake, right? It totally makes sense to have predictable deadlines, predictable deliverables to make sure that you're gonna land that contract. I think a great example of this, so I'm on the board of a, a health organization in Chicago and we actually have an entire software development team that we work with, and they actually build our, you know, our, our, our patient system, essentially. And so every time we wanna make a change, they're like, okay, cool, we'll make that change, but it's gonna take exactly eight months. Like, every single time. And then we're always just like, oh my God, like, like why does these other companies can do this in like a week? Why do you have to wait eight months? And they're like, well, actually, we have to make sure that it's still HIPAA compliant. We have to make sure that every patient record is still there. We have to make sure that, because we have a custom solution, because we work with LGBTQ people, that you don't lose the field of like someone being gender non-binary, you know? And so it gets to this idea, though, that like it's much more important to have a sustained, successful situation versus actually iterating at the same pace as, you know, some other agile principles. So then let's talk about like the types of skills that you have to have. So the cool thing about you know, Waterfall again, because I'm, I'm gonna talk positively, positively about Waterfall for an extended period of time. I know no one's used to this, but just get comfortable. I actually love Waterfall because you can have a lot of different skills, right? You don't necessarily have to have the most highly skilled people in the world because there's so many checks and balances and so many different things that you have to go through. A lot of time you're, you're perfectly good. You can have a super junior person working on a huge part of the business and have it not actually potentially negatively affect the business. You can also have lots of different levels of maturity. So again, you know, in, in, in my experience, Waterfall works best when you have some super junior people as well as some super senior people because the super senior people have certain amounts of knowledge, certain amounts of understanding that will ensure that the documentation is done properly and well at the very beginning. And actually, this is one of the few times that you can actually operate with a much larger team. And actually, you probably have to, because if you really wanna make sure you get the designs, you really wanna make sure you have an engineering plan, you really wanna make sure that you have customer input, it takes a lot of resources to get all that done at the very beginning. And also, waterfall is generally associated with a very low amount of risk, right? So like again, waterfall, even though it is fruitcake, and we don't always like fruitcake, can actually be super wonderful depending on what industry you're working in. So now we're gonna to go to Kanban. 
So when I was doing this presentation, I thought it was really great. So my work wife, who's my QA, was like, Bethany, I'm gonna help you figure out which cakes you're gonna do. And she's like, I'm gonna start Googling cakes and what they mean. And so she was like, Kanban has to be tiramisu. And I was like, why does it have to be tiramisu? She was like, it literally means to pick up. And that's what Kanban is. You just pick up what's in there. And I was just like, girl, you're doing, you're trying too hard on this presentation. <laughs> but it worked out. It totally worked out. So in my career, I've really been very fortunate in that the entire way I got involved in, in Agile was because someone was just like, I saw this thing called Kanban, and you seem smart enough, you go figure it out, right? And that just took me down the whole rabbit hole of what Agile could be. It's because with Kanban, it's so simple. Almost any type of team, like any type of team, this conference's team could pick up, could, could throw a Kanban board up, and instantly everyone would be able to understand what's most important and in which order something should be done. I actually worked with a team, an HR team, at a company that's like, I don't know, 1,800 employees, and they wanted to do a project on you know, making sure everyone had a specific path to success. So it's like, okay, you're a product manager, what is your potential, you know, you know going from this, this job to this next job to this next job after that? And I was just like, well guys, like, we can't do this the way you guys have been talking about it. I heard about this thing called Kanban. <laughs> let's just use this board. You know, let's, just, let's come up with all the tasks we think we need to do over the next six months. Let's put it in order, let's put it in the highest priority order, and let's make sure that everyone knows that we only choose the highest priority first. And what's really great about this is it made it so easy for everyone to understand what we were doing and like whether we were behind or not. Now, as a product manager, I kind of hated it because like, to a certain extent, I'm just like, well, but what if I really think I want to reprioritize? Like, I can't independently do that because we've all agreed what's the most important thing. But as a team, the team was just like, this is the most visibility I've ever had on any project I've ever done. And I also feel completely, like, you know, empowered to just do the work. Like, I don't have to go talk to my boss. I don't have to go talk to this person over here because this thing is right in front of me and I can pick it up because it's the most important thing that we're working on. And so it's always really good for like highly self-organized, mature teams. But what's really interesting about it is it's, it requires very low skill level, right? Like the, you, because you can do this with any team, you don't necessarily have to have the like most talented, most impressive people in the world doing it. You just have to have someone who's mature enough to go, this is the highest priority item. I do also recommend that it's for small teams. You know, I really, I've never seen Kanban work exceptionally well for a team that's more than like seven people. In fact, more, mostly three to five people. Again, it's because you might run out of work too quickly, because Kanban, you can only prioritize up to a certain point. And with the company risk, because it's so easy to put over everything, you can pretty much do any type of company risk and be able to, to work with Kanban. Now, I have to talk about a negative, right? Right, so I mentioned the product manager part of it. The second part of it is, a lot of times, companies, senior leadership don't really like the idea, right? So I've gone to meetings and been like, oh, well, I'm just, like, we should just really do a Kanban board for this particular team, like blah, 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 and the senior person's just like, but how do I know what's happening? How does blah, 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 And I'm like, well, because the card goes from there to here. Like, if the, if the card goes there, they, it's done. Like, like, why are you worried? Right? And so a lot of times from like, I think because it is so easy, it's such a, a small lift, sometimes it gets very nerve wracking because there isn't more process around it. But you know, as we kind of go through this conversation, you'll notice that I really don't think we should have that many processes. So you know, I think it's actually a really great first step for teams. So then we have everyone's favorite, Scrum, AKA chocolate cake, 
Uh, the reason I call it the chocolate cake is because everyone is probably running into a flavor of it at some point. Um, every single team at some point, <laughs> you, you know, someone in your company was like, let's do Scrum, right? And, you know, I think almost every company I've ever started at, we were at Scrum or we were moving to Scrum or we're moving away from Scrum, something like that. Um, and so that's why it's actually a really great first agile methodology because usually people run into it. Now, I'm gonna tell you the, the kind of difficult part though. Most software developers hate it, right? Because they've had really negative Scrum experiences. So a little background about Scrum. In order for Scrum to actually work, you're supposed to have a bunch of very specific roles, right? You're supposed to have a Scrum master. You're supposed to have a product owner. You're supposed to have a development team. That doesn't happen to most companies. I mean, we're talking about you know, the fact that some companies don't even have product owners or have not assigned product owners. You know, most people who may have a product owner then doesn't have like, a scrum master. And if you don't have a scrum master, you end up in this situation where like, maybe the product owner is also the scrum master. Or in one situation, somehow the QA became the scrum master. I don't know how that happened. But you end up with all these people working on dual roles. And the thing about Scrum is, Scrum is supposed to be set up that, you know, me as a product manager, I can focus on the business outcome, the development team can focus on building the product, and the Scrum master is supposed to unblock all of us to make sure we communicate well and to make sure the team is successful. And when you have people working multiple of those roles, what ends up happening is, as a business person, I'm also supposed to be, you know, like if I'm also the Scrum master, I'm supposed to be unblocking them and making their lives better, but, you know, I'm also the business person and my CEO is telling me, Oh no, this is not okay. It has to be built this way. We can't miss this deadline, et cetera. And so it creates so much conflict and it actually makes a lot of those teams very unsuccessful. And so when I hear a lot of feedback about Scrum, it's just, well, you know, all those stupid ceremonies, we had to do those, and the person who ran them was just so inefficient, and like I didn't even understand it, and we never actually did anything that we talked about in the retro. And so I just don't understand why we do Scrum. And I was just like, you know what, I don't know either. You know, maybe this is not the right thing for us, right? And so, you know, even though most software development teams run some form of Scrum, they actually generally mess up a lot, right? Because they don't have the right roles. And actually, I was reading this really great article. I was talking about the fact that, so Waterfall actually, more than 50% of teams that reported in this survey actually run Waterfall. And then the, the another like quarter to 30% actually run Scrum. And the, the two teams that kind of responded were like, I'm going from Waterfall to Scrum, or I'm going from Scrum back to Waterfall, right? <laughs> So it's actually really, really interesting how this kind of goes. And, and it also shows that like, a lot of tinkering has to happen consistently, right? Because you don't really know if this is the right one for you at all times. So let's just go back to the breakdown. So again, Scrum's great because you can have a lot of different skills, right? It, it doesn't really make a difference what type of skill levels you have. Team maturity doesn't really make a difference. Team size, small and medium. And company risk, I put you know like medium because as I've kind of gone through this career thing, what I found is, is that companies that can take a little bit of risk, but are not low risk, right? Like they're not like averse to risk. They, they generally do best with Scrum, right? And I think it's partially because of Scrum with the, 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 the actual sprint cycles, it makes it very, very easy and simple for leadership to understand when things are gonna come, what data is gonna happen on, and then they, they love that routine, you know, all the time. Of course, development teams hate it, because you know, most developers are just like, well, Bethany, I said it was three sprints, but you know, it was like four sprints, it was like five sprints, like I don't know how, to, it doesn't have to be this specific, right? And so it's always kind of like this push-pull between leadership and the development teams. 
So then we get to my favorite, which is why it's Funfetti Cake, and this is Lean. So I call Lean the race for the MVP, right? The entire point of Lean is I need to get to my MVP as quickly as possible so I can go get learnings, so then I can go do a whole new MVP again. And I actually love that. I love just building stuff like all the time, not even like looking back at it and being like, oh, I got enough data, I'm just gonna build something else. I don't know why. I, like, I actually probably lack follow through like Mikey as well. Um, but I just really, really, really love building stuff and getting feedback and just like kicking butt and taking names and doing it again. And so I work really well with really highly skilled developers and teams of expert knowledge in their given field. Um, so one of my companies that, it was like so shocking to me to be at a company that ran all lean. Like an entire company that ran all lean, that was a billion dollar company, and, we, and nothing like burned down. And I was at cars.com, and the chief product officer just came in and he was like, guys, like, why is it that it takes like six months? Why does it take a year? Why does it take two years to release basic things? Um, at the time, we were losing so much market share to Card Gurus, and Card Gurus basically had the exact same thing that we had. The only difference is, is that they had way less code, they had way less bureaucracy. And so he came in like the first day, like was like, we're gonna do lean. A lot of people said no. So he was like, okay, well, you're all fired. We're doing lean. And I was like, well, I'm gonna do some lean, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And it was one of the best career experiences of my life. Because one of the frustrations I'd had as a product manager, program, as someone who was very responsible for the business outcomes, it allowed me to tell developers, you're smart. Like, you're intelligent. You know more about this code base. And I've been here for two months. You've been here for five years. Like, you know more about what we should or should not be doing than I do. And so I got to take on partners for the first time in my career. I didn't have to tell people what to do. All of a sudden, they're all like, they're truly self-organizing teams. They're truly agile teams. They would just come to me, like I would really come in, I come in, well, first of all, I'm gonna be truthful. I'm not a morning person, and I'm also living on the West Coast, so it feels like it's eight o'clock to me right now, so y'all are lucky I'm this awake. And so normally at work, I come in at like 9.45, I'm like, hey, y'all, how are you doing? And at 9.45, they'd be like, Bethany, we made all these five or six strategic decisions. We think they're gonna do all this different type of stuff. Thumbs up or thumbs down. And I was like, well, thumbs, I mean, you said it's a lot of money. Thumbs up, right? And it was such a great opportunity. It was such a happy team. It was probably one of the most, like one of the happiest teams I'd ever worked with. Because for the very first time, they were empowered to make solutions, right? If they weren't just following behind me, like waiting for me to give them some kind of response that said that they were allowed to be free. Like they just knew they could be free, right? Secondly, all of a sudden I had developers who were like, yeah, the MVP has been out for two weeks. I went ahead and pulled the dashboard. Look at what the data says. Like I'm not a business person like you, Bethany, but it looks like we should do some more of this. And I'm like, oh man. And my favorite part, I just got to go in front of the CEO and be like, yeah, we're making a lot of money. Because look at this dashboard this guy like pulled for me and, 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 and I get to show up and just look great, right? And so that's why I'm such a huge fan of Lean. <laughs> but you know, the, the thing is, it's kind of hard. R running Lean is hard. And in fact, when I left Cars, there are a couple teams that just weren't ready for Lean, right? They just could not comfortably run Lean. It's because they're, they didn't have the right mix. You know, so here I tell you, you have to have a high skill level. You have to high, have a high team maturity. You have, a, have to have a small and medium team. And your company has to be really, 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 really willing to take risks. So what happens with infrastructure teams? So some of the infrastructure teams are just like, we cannot take these types of risks. 
Like, we feel very uncomfortable with this. We want to actually just continue to go with Scrum, or we're going to continue to go with Kanban, which actually makes sense, because when you do Agile properly, all of a sudden, different parts of it work differently for different teams. And in fact, that's how we got the Spotify squad model. So first of all, this is my second favorite cake. It's like an Oreo ice cream cake, because I like to have my, you know, my cake and eat it too with my ice cream. I don't know. I'm very complicated like that. So Spotify squad model. How, have, how many of you have actually heard of the Spotify squad model? OK, so we got, like, we got some real people who have been here. So what I love about the Spotify squad model is not everyone has to do the same thing, right? Because when you truly become agile, each different team, each different part of the organization may need to operate differently. And they need to make that choice, right? With the Spotify squad model, this team over here can run Kanban, this team over here can run Lean, this team over here can run Scrum, right? And the only thing you have to do is when you work on projects, so for instance, at my last company, one of the last projects I worked on, I touched on four different teams, right? So four different teams, completely different principles of how we work because we all had our own working agreements. And so when we had our first meeting, Someone got up on the board and was just like, okay, so which type of, which type of communication system are we gonna use? Are we gonna use Slack? Are we gonna use Confluence, et cetera? How are we gonna document the work? Are we gonna use Trello? Are we gonna use Jira, right? And so we came up with a working agreement on the fly in the first 20 minutes of our meeting on how we were gonna work on a six-month project, right? Because we were free enough with the Spotify squad model to do whatever made sense for us, you know? And it was like this really great moment because it goes like straight from where Lean is like all autonomous and I just look good without even trying to we have to actively choose to work well together, right? And it's something that I found when I was working with different development teams throughout my career, a lot of times people don't make that active choice, right? Instead, they're like, well, I'm the infrastructure team. I'm gonna do it like I want. You have to do this, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, girl, we gotta go make money. Like, why are we arguing over what, what board we're gonna use? Like, why are we arguing over how many times we're gonna have meetings? Like, instead, let's just focus on freeing ourselves up from these processes and just do the work, right? And it just made a huge difference. But the thing about a Spotify squad model is that you have to trust each other. And this is one that, I mean, I think that, you know, even through some of these conversations, we've talked about how you, you know, inspire employees to be do their best work, right? Like, ultimately, that's what kind of the things we're talking about. Like, how can we unblock people? And one of the biggest blockers is trust. Like, how can you trust, you know, Sally over there is going to actually do the things that she says she's going to do, especially when she doesn't work on the same team as you do all the time, right? And so when you go into these models, though, you just have to just, like, give it up. You just have to say, like, I trust that every single person who works at this company is gonna do the things they say they're gonna do, and when we come up with a working agreement, it's gonna actually work. And so, ultimately, you do have to have a lot of high-level skills. You have to be very mature. You can be you know, medium to large size, and your company has to be able to take risks. Now, I wanna really hone in on the, the company taking risks. So, I mentioned Lean, where you also have to be comfortable taking risks, and now I'm doing Spotify Squad Model, where you also have to be comfortable taking risks. So I think a great example um, from my own career, I was working at this like really interesting, not startup, but startup, you know, like those ones that are like a teenager, they aren't crawling anymore, they're kind of running, but then they just like trip all the time. I was working at one of those companies. <clears throat> and it was so funny because the leader came and he wanted to be lean. He was just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm like the coolest dude ever, I give up control so easily, we're gonna do lean. And I was just like, I don't think that's gonna work at this company. And he was just like, why not? 
I was like, we don't, like we, like you sure you can take that type of risk? He was like, no, no, we're really good. I was like, well, but that person over there doesn't want to do that thing over there. Like I know it's going to be a hard sell over there for that team. And he was like, well, but no, we'll just make them. I was like, no, let's just do Spotify squad model. I was like, we have, we have great trust. I mean, we mess up all the time, right? <laughs> like we mess up together though. So we have great trust in each other. But we need to acknowledge the fact that there's going to be teams that are just going to be completely against trying out lean fully, right? This is a much better strategy for us. This is going to make us much more successful. And we're not going to have major pushback. And so we went through the Spotify squad model. All the different teams were kind of like doing their own thing. And it actually just worked out exceptionally well. And so it goes back to this idea that the process, again, can't inhibit the autonomy of the team, right? Autonomy of the team is how you get to that synergy where you don't have to tell people what to do. People will go out, they will educate themselves, they will figure out the best strategies, and they will come to you with that information. And that's where the Agile Manifesto is really you know, talking about, which is it's more about the principles than it is about the process. So I actually thought about this. And I was like, well, do I really want to make them answer questions? And I was like, yes, I do. Yeah, I'm a product manager. I always make people do things. So I want to go come up with a few different examples, because I've given you lots of information. And I just want to you know, see you know, if you guys can kind of figure out which principle or which process might work for the scenario that we have. So example one. And by the way, all of these are actual examples that I consulted on or I worked specifically in. So I know what we would have done, and I'm totally fine if you guys come up with an answer differently than what I would have thought about. So I work at a well-established tech company. We no longer rely on outside funding and are profitable. We are concerned that we are releasing less, leading to not getting learnings quickly, and ultimately stifling our ability to innovate. Senior leadership has provided me a rock star team to stop this slide and start pumping out MVPs consistently. What methodology might I implement? You could. That's not wrong. Yeah. Lean. Yes, lean. So the key here is the MVPs. The MVPs. But like I said, you can, because technically, it's about experimentation. Maybe I would have started off Kanban first, and then I would have been like, wait, these guys like really, really, really have everything set up. So maybe we'll just do lean. Like I just want to empower everyone to do the right thing. Example number two, I work in the medical insurance industry. My product involves medical records and is governed by HIPAA. When building products, I must ensure every single aspect is approved before we get started to ensure HIPAA compliance. The product cannot change after I start to build due to losing compliance status. What methodology could I implement? Good job, see, I, I gave you like the really easy one after the like hard one to make sure you guys felt great, that's why. <laughs> <clears throat> so example three, I am a newer product manager at a pretty well-established startup. I have a team of five to seven developers who are a mixed bunch in terms of maturity and skill level. I would like to instill some sort of agile methodology, but want to ensure it is not too disruptive to our processes. Scrum, yes. And actually, I literally, my very first product manager job, I come in and they were just like, so we want to do a process, can you learn? And I was like, I ain't never done this before. Like, literally, it's my first job. But Scrum worked. It was so easy. <clears throat> I am a senior manager at a successful tech company. I think our product is great, as well as the talent we have in our organization. I want to empower the individual teams to make decisions in a decentralized manner so that we can innovate even faster. 
I mean, there's like some wish what? what? Y'all getting this, I like this. I feel like I'm educating people, this is great. I am a manager outside of the tech portion of my organization. I love how quickly the tech teams release products and innovate for the company. And I would love to bring that culture to my side of the business. I know that technology processes can seem intimidating, so I want to ensure it's lightweight and accessible. Canvas, perfect. All right, we are a medium-sized tech company with under 1,000 employees. We are very comfortable with agile principles and want more freedom for product teams to build new features. We need releases to go out at a reliable cadence. It's a trick question. This is definitely one where you should try all the things and just figure out which one works best, right? Because when you have, like you have like, they already know Agile, so you, like, you could do some Scrum, you could do some Kanban, you could do some Lean, like you could do anything right there. Just experiment, because like you've you got to figure out which one of your team is going to work best under. So in review, this, I, I totally lifted this from the Spotify Squad Model article, because I just think it's great, right? Because Agile fits all different types of appetites. And really, all you're really trying to figure out is whether we have alignment and how much autonomy we want to give our folks, right? And so, you know, for me, I'm the person who's in that top corner over there. Like, that's the only way I really like to operate in my companies. However, you could be in any one of these other ones, right? And so you just have to figure out where you are in terms of your alignment and in terms of your ability to give your, your team autonomy to figure out which one might work best for you. So, in summary, any, organi any organization or team can run some flavor of Agile. I've done it with HR teams. I've done it with my board of directors for the health um, organization I work with. I do it at Apple every day. Like, you can do anything. Company and team maturity, team talent, and team size, they dictate what type of Agile you should work under. But you should experiment. You know, again, I thought I was a Scrum person. I have a certified Scrum product owner and like all the other stuff, like the stuff you get to make sure that people hire you. I have all that stuff, right? But what I found is, is that I, go in, I can go into a company, and the company is in such different states that it just may not make sense for where they are. And so I love being able to tell someone, I'm not going to do anything for like a month. I want to actually kind of see what people are doing. And I was like, well, maybe we'll do this after a month. But you know, in three months, I may change my mind. In six months, I may really change my mind because maybe we've empowered people so much that like, we can move straight into lean, which is where I want to be all the time anyway, right? So those are different types of things. And I don't know if I've said this enough, but like, process just really should not inhibit autonomy, right? No process is worth having a bunch of folks who don't feel empowered to do the work. And waste is an enemy. So this is that old school like, Toyota like, you know, talk. Like, how can we avoid waste? How can we avoid wasting time, money, effort, energy, spirit? Let's not do that. So, questions? There's a reason we had you on before lunch as well. Oh yeah, just to get you guys hungry. He, he tried to get cakes though, I will say this. So. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought cakes then lunch is even for boss a little bit, mm -hmm. um, a little bit much. Right, questions. Here we go. First of all, great talk. Love that you brought in the Heinrich diagram at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about why you characterize risk the way that you did for Waterfall and Lean. Um, you said that Waterfall is for low risk tolerance companies and that Lean is for high risk tolerance companies, but 
isn't Waterfall actually really high risk from a desirability and viability standpoint since you wait until the end to deliver customer value and get that feedback? I mean, it's definitely lower for compliance risk, but just knowing that's only one type of risk that companies have to deal with. Um, and then similarly for Lean, isn't the point of Lean to drive down risk from the get-go by testing those, those really risky assumptions? Yeah, so the way I think of risk in this, in this case, which that's a good point, is that I'm thinking about the ability of the company to, to sustain, um, so basically if a project doesn't get, get done, right? If a project becomes incomplete, it's the ability of the company to, to pivot is basically what I'm thinking of. And so Lean, the reason I say it's high risk is because the entire principle is to pivot, right? Like you're supposed to get the MVP out there, you're supposed to get the information, then you're supposed to build something. And if the information actually says, you know, that was the dumbest idea ever, you just go to the next thing. And so when I think of Waterfall, it's generally for companies that have very sustained models. You know, I don't think, I don't really see a lot of waterfall companies being like a, a, a random startup that's trying to disrupt fintech, right? Like you don't normally see that as, as a, a company. Instead, you're looking at like one of the, the big three financial firms, you know? You're thinking of like some of the largest insurance companies, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Great, okay, um, John here. Bethany, thank you. Um, you uh, reinforced some things for me and you challenged some things that I, probably hold dear, so I'll have to look at that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but can you talk a little bit about uh, how each of those lend themselves uh, to when you have a distributed team? Um, you know, we have, we have teams that, that have broad geographic distributions, some in t different time zones, some that aren't. So one of the first Agile principles is that co-location is always the best way to do Agile. So I always struggle with this, right? Right, because like ultimately, that's not how the world's gonna go, right? We're gonna continue to be spread out even further. So one of the things I talk about is like, you have to come up for working agreement on how you communicate, right? Like, so let's, so a great example is, in my last company before I, I switched companies, half my team was based on the West Coast and I was based in Chicago, right? So we had to come up with, like, to start off with even which hours we were gonna work. Because all of a sudden I was just like, wait, it's been like three hours, I haven't gotten the thing that we talked about. And so it turned out that they had completely different working hours than the Chicago team. And so it's coming up with like a very specific working agreement on exactly how you communicate, exactly how you deliver, exactly how you should make sure that you are showing progress on different things like that. And again, it's not to like say I'm, I'm policing you, it's actually because you're doing it at the very beginning, it becomes less of like, I'm just following up after you and more about like, well, we just came to this agreement, so I'm just holding you accountable to it. So specifically though, as it relates to each of those process, processes, does one lend itself better? Does one, whatever you do, don't, don't be remote this issue. Yeah, so again, it's, it's too hard to like just say like universally because you could be a team that's perfect for lean that's a distributed team, whereas most distributed teams probably would never work with Lean, right? Because it's so much more about your team skill level, so much more about your team's maturity level, so much more about your company and the types of product that you're building. Now, if I had to, like, if you put me across the cross, like, if you nail me to the cross, if I had to choose, I probably would actually say, like, something like Kanban or something like that, where it's very clear whatever the highest priority item is, right? So then, even if you don't communicate every day, everyone knows this is number one. Eagle. Um, Bethany, thanks for the talk. Um, I have a question about the skill level, especially for the Lean and uh, uh, Spotify something something. Um, 
when you assess those skills, uh, does it only include the skills that are kind of within the, the, the framework of a profession, or it in, does it include adjacent skills? For example, if developers are there, uh, you know, making business decisions, do you expect them to have uh, more than just development expertise? So again, it depends on your team, right? So you have to figure out what skills are most important for your team to be successful, right? So like in a more traditional where you have like a product manager, you have product owners, you have developers, you have Q, like those situations, then a developer doesn't have to ever make a business decision, right? So in that situation, all I'm looking for is a developer who has a high skill of being a developer. Right? But if I'm in a situation where I may not have some of those distributed roles and then a developer has to also make business decisions, then that's some way that I would actually think about, well, that person has to have a high skill if I wanted to do lean. Another way to put it, if uh, say we want to have uh, to do lean, do we need to send uh, our developer team to some training that is not related to core development skills? So I think training is always good. Right? So it just really depends on, it depend, again, it depends on your skills, right? Um, so one of the things, when I did my um, PMI ACP certification, one of the things I thought was so cool is this one company that was from the suburbs of Chicago sent all of their managers, like even managers who were not going to necessarily be running a lot of those processes, they wanted every single one of their managers to be trained on the concepts of how to do lean. They wanted all their managers to be trained in the concepts of change management and things like that, right? And so they were preparing themselves to allow any of those people to step in and do the work that was necessary. So again, depending on your situation, depending on the roles that you have, you probably will, pro you, you probably will need to train some folks. Thanks. So I have an example for if you have ever tried mixing any of these methodologies, like two of them. So example could be a company which is pretty large. Um, you have a different skill set of developers, majority of them skilled. However, your team is so big that you want stakeholders to also be engaged in the process. So what I'm thinking is that have you ever uh, thought or practiced mixing lean which dev team is gonna uh, practice internally. However, on the stakeholder side, using something like Kanban, so they stay on track with their products. Oh yeah, no, totally, 100%. Um, and in fact, some ways, in some ways, some of the methodologies are too far out of bounds for stakeholders, right? Like it's too convoluted or complicated, and so you would maybe have a Kanban board so they can just easily see, this is project one, it's now in progress, and it's done. Right, I definitely agree with that. You want to make it as, as simple as possible for stakeholders. Uh, thank you. Um, is there a particular methodology that you find or have observed that is less frictional with um, continuous deployment? So getting software into production regularly without a lot of distraction? Um, so any of these can be used for that. Right, so because I've worked on completely different companies that have used all of these different methodologies and we all did continuous deployment. Right, so I think, again, it depends on your company, right? It depends on your team, it depends on who you're working with. I find that Lean is probably my favorite for that, right? Because the developers are really empowered to make the right decision for the business. So if they find a mistake, you know, at 9 a.m., they can have it in the afternoon release and we're, we have a better experience for our customers. Thank you. Ashish. Hi, good talk. Um, it, to my mind, isn't Kanban from Lean? Like, 
Kanban is a manifestation of lean? So the way I like to think about this is agile is the wrapper, right? And how you apply it, there's like five degrees of separation between these, right? Like there's like barely that much difference. It's really just more like which ceremonies you're gonna have. Who needs to be involved, right? So Kanban and Lean are cousins, but I would not say they're the same thing. What would be the characterizing difference between the two? So with Kanban, again, this is a very simple principle, which is what work do we need to do? What work are we currently working on and what's done? Lean can have that exact same principle, but it's way more about autonomy, right? So the thing is you don't need to have a list of what needs to be done because your team can just decide that morning, we want to race to this MVP to do this XYZ thing, and that may not be on the board, right? Because you've got new data that says that like this isn't the way you should move. Doug, maybe I'm just a crazy redneck from Nevada that doesn't know anything. But my vision of Apple is they're not, the stuff that I get from Apple comes once a year, which makes my brain say, waterfall, where's the lean coming in? So one, you notice I did not mention Apple. Gotcha. And I will not mention Apple. So there we go. Cheers. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you want to catch me in a corner that's not recorded, maybe we could talk. <laughs> yeah. And a cake. And a cake. Yes. Hi, Bethany. Thank you. Uh, Chicago representing right here. Yes. Up here. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so, as I'm sure you've seen in implementing Agile, I have dealt with a lot of resistance to the change and um, challenges with adoption. Even when I present the actual scientific evidence of Agile methodologies, to executive leadership and you know to stakeholders, I still encounter this resistance to change. So have you encountered that and how have you gone about getting the, the buy-in? So constantly, yeah, it's, it's a constant issue. And that's why I mentioned like so many people have gone through terrible experiences with Agile. Like I completely acknowledge that it's implemented poorly, it's not well thought out, and so you get into it, and then people are just like, I hated everything about Agile. Like, I never want to go back. I'm still scarred. And then we get to be that person who comes in afterwards who's just like, no, but it really works, right? Um, so it's, it's, there's no good way to go about it, right? There's no good way to convince people who have been burned multiple times that Agile is now good. So one of the things that I always ask is for a small pilot, right? It's like, hey, just give me like one team over here. We're going to try it out. If I have more consistent results, can we then expand it? Right? And it's worked pretty well for me because you do have to like, show them to prove to them that it works. Um, another thing that's worked pretty well, there's some like, really great like, agile coaches out there. So having someone come in and just do like, a day of talking, especially when they can talk about different examples. Like this one agile coach, which I'm, I can't think of his name right now, but he was talking about um, like, gaming development. So gaming development is notorious for never being on time, for putting out very buggy things, for having a huge turnover. Right, because people just get burned out about it because it's so terrible. He was talking about how he was able to put agile methodology in, and he started off again with a small pilot. He's like, let me just give you this one team that's supposed to be focused on this one product, and I'm gonna show you that we're gonna hit our deadlines. And that team became 40% more efficient, and they all started leaving at five, right? And so then everyone's just like, well, no, we wanna do agile too, because we're leaving at five, right? <laughs> So I think it just really, it, you really have to prove it to them. You just have to show them that this is something that's possible. And you know, that's the thing about agile principles though, you have to have a lot of trust, 
right? And so sometimes I'll go up to someone and say, I know I'm five foot two black and super, super butch, but I don't understand why you don't trust me. Like, look at this face. Like, I'm adorable, right? And so that's the thing. You just really have to just break them down. The, um, in your discussion of like your frameworks, you talk about the relative skill set maturity of the ICs. You talk about the tolerances of the company. But the thing we're not really talking about in the middle is the manager, really you. So that's the thing, true agile, I'm not a manager. I'm just one of the team people, you know? I'm just giving my expertise on the thing that I know about, right? There, there shouldn't be, because I mean the whole thing is it's self-organizing teams, right? So that means that every person on the team should be able to step up and say, Bethany, we shouldn't do that. Or Bethany, I know we planned for this thing, but now I think it's actually gonna cost us way more and we're not gonna get the value. Like every single person, like that's one of the things that like in my career, I, they haven't figured out yet that I just don't tell them things, right? I just show up and go, this is the data, this is the research, this is what we probably should build. Guys, help me figure out how to break this down. And they start doing it. Even with Scrum, I didn't have to run ceremonies anymore. Everyone's like, well, I really want to make sure we get stuff done from retro. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take ownership of that. You know, I want to make sure that our daily stands are better, so I'm going to take ownership of that. And I just got to, again, walk in at 9.45 with my coffee and look cute, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, that's not always the, the perfect situation, right? Like, not everyone is good managers. In fact, we already learned earlier today that the number one reason people quit is because they're managers, right? And so sometimes in Agile, you have to fire the managers. Right? Because they're the ones who are blocking the actual process. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.